Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast, where we have smart conversations about pregnancy, parenting, healthcare, politics, and feminism. We talk about a lot of things over here on the pod, and oftentimes what happens is that my guests and I start we start out talking about, you know, a pregnancy-related issue or study or something to do with healthcare or parenting, but then we end up talking about, you know, everything. That's because our topic is just an entry point. Parenting, pregnancy, and healthcare aren't single-topic conversations. They encompass all of who we are as people, as community members, and, you know, as we live our lives in the 21st century. We like to, you know, sort of identify and label people into smaller categories so they're easier to understand. And we use categories like mom or dad or doctor or diplomat because it helps us make sense of who people are. But when we do that, we totally limit the possibilities. You know, taking myself, for instance, sure, I'm a mom. And if you want to see me only through that lens, well, okay. But then you'll miss out that I'm, you know, a lot of other things. I'm a writer, I'm a swimmer, a foreign assistance lobbyist, and a really determined knitter. I'm a nurse and a politics junkie, and I'm a bit of a nut about how fascinated I am with the bees and squirrels and bugs that live on my property. I'm a lot of things, and mom is just one of them. It's a good place to start, though. I mean, if you're trying to get to know me, then if we keep talking, we'll learn all kinds of things, right? That's what we're doing here on the podcast. We just keep talking. One thing we haven't talked about yet on the pod is about faith, religion, and spirituality, especially as it pertains to our lives as parents. We've touched on these topics here and there because they impact our lives on so many levels. And we've talked a bit about the impact of religion on healthcare norms and laws, but we haven't really talked about how our faith or lack thereof guides us as parents. And I thought it was about time we talked about that. So when I had a chance to interview Joe Saxton, I grabbed it. Joe Saxton is a pastor and leader in the faith-based community in Minneapolis. She's also the co-host of the podcast Lead Stories, where she and her co-host talk about leadership in life. And you know what? That's what I want to talk about today. So let's get Joe on the line. Hi, Joe. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you? I am doing really good, except for that I am whining a little bit because I just took this extra hard fitness class that I am not, um, it was, let's just say it was above my skill set. (laughs) (laughs) And the substitute teacher was brutal. Uh, that's rough I feel that the substitute teachers can sometimes be worse <laughs> oh my because God. they want to leave a, a strong impression 
I was, I was so grateful, though, that at the end of the class, she said, okay, and I teach Monday nights at 545. <laughs> Find me there. And I'm thinking, I will never go there again. I'm sorry. I'll be sick those times. <laughs> 545 Mondays? Mm-mm-mm. Not my day. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I'm going to be so buff, probably by tomorrow, I think. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, Joe, I want to read your bio, and then let's start talking. Cool? Okay. Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> Joe Saxton is a leader in the faith-based community in Minneapolis. She's the host of the podcast Lead Stories, where she and her co-host talk about leadership, life, and gathering a tribe of leaders who want to be intentional with their influence and use their gifts to serve a hurting world. She chairs the board of 3D Movements, a nonprofit organization that's changing the world by putting discipleship and mission back into the hands of ordinary people. She's also a pastor and describes herself as passionate about the church. I'll add that you also describe yourself as a Nigerian Londoner living in Minneapolis. So now that I have read all that, Joe, yes. the first question is... Who are you and what do you do? Wow. Well, I do find those bios so... Um, first of all, I was wondering if I was going to be accurate. Uh, but then, <laughs> then I find them kind of embarrassing as well. But I would say all those things are true. I would yeah. also add I am a lover of Target and Starbucks. I think those are important things that we need to share. Oh, hell yeah! They are just glorious places and two great reasons for moving to America. Um, <laughs> I, am, I am married to a guy called Chris. I am the mom of two girls who are um, one is 10, one is just turned 12. And um, it's the summer, so that's a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot. The rest I don't know about who I am. I just know I'm a woman surviving the summer. Darn right. Aren't we all? Although I've got it pretty easy. I really do because my youngest is 17 Ooh. and she has a summer job and there she's you got go. really lovely friends and she has stuff going on. It's, you know, she's going into her senior year of high school and they are really fully operational at that point. Nice. You know, we're just holding the reins back till she's ready to launch herself. So summer is no longer swim lessons and camps and try to find some place while I work. You know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, that, that, I'm looking forward to that that side of life. And yeah. Um, yeah, imagine. Imagine. Just. <laughs> yeah. That's like a fantasy you just described just then. I know I did. Yeah. I, I've lo I'm lost a little. I'm I'm looking wistfully into the air. Well, I you know, I like to drop these little truth bombs that Actually, there is life out there, you know, beyond the, the small kids stage, and it's going to be okay. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be okay. A lot of people ask me at this point, you know, you've only got one more. It's emptiness syndrome. And I'm thinking, yeah, there probably is going to be quite a bit of that. Each one of my kids as they've gone off to college or, you know, off into the world, there's been some grief. But then mm -hmm. on the other side of that, there's also this feeling of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I raised them. They're done. I'm good. There you, there you, you go. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And now what? So there's that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, Joe, you and I came together um, via my other podcast that I yeah. do for Care and Care Action, which that one hasn't aired yet. I'm not quite sure what the air date on that is. But when we got to the end of that chat, <clears throat> we just had so much more to talk about. So we decided that we'd bring you on over here where we can talk about all kinds of things. Yay! That 
Yeah, yeah. And I kind of want to just jump in with, I want to jump in with something that you could, so a lot of parents having kids today um, were raised in either, you know, non-religious homes or in homes where a specific faith or religious tradition wasn't emphasized. Um, Now that may be more here in the Pacific Northwest and in, you know, the West Coast in general. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I grew up Catholic and, um, you know, I rejected the church full force at 13 as only a 13 year old could do. (laughs) And part of it, yeah, you know, part of it was because of gender issues in the church. And Mm -hmm. part of it was because I struggled with some of the dogma. Yeah. Um, But then, you know, I really felt kind of adrift without a spiritual home, Mm, Um, you know, even up to this point in my life. And when I started having children in my, you know, late 20s, I kind of felt like I owed them some sort of religious education or structure. Um, You know, but it didn't really. So, you know, we tried out the Episcopalian church a little bit and we dipped our toes in, you know, this, the Unitarian church. We we tried. We did some religious fishing. <laughs> My husband grew up with a woman who he described as belonging to Religion of the Month Club. <laughs> and he has not disdain for formal religious structure, but I don't know. He didn't like it. So... You know, I just, I don't think that this is uncommon. No, I hear it, isn't. it a lot. Yeah. I, I hear it both that people are looking for something yeah. and also that parenting is kind of a time of reentry yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's maybe the wonder of having a child, both the wonder and the crisis, you know, whether uh-huh. it's, um, I, whether it's the kind of you're holding this newborn life in your hands and and it's way and although this baby is tiny everything about that moment is bigger than you you know yeah. it's, you know your heart is bursting your mind is bursting you're afraid of holding them to some degree yeah, yeah. all of this stuff and and you're and you know we've with us as women we've had time for our bodies to adjust on one level we felt the changes mm-hmm. as our bodies have stretched and moved around and then it's right before our eyes and I think that is a really spiritual experience I do I, I do too there's, there's something incredibly transcendent obviously there's something utterly agonizing as well <laughs> well <laughs> about it all and the stitches and everything right. but that are stitches aside I think there's something really spiritual about it and I so it's quite natural to think oh, these were the anchors that I got to reject something at 13. I got to um, think I had this framework. What's the framework I want to give to my child? I think that's a real natural thing um, for us. And yeah. and I think, and I've seen a number of people who've wanted their child dedicated or baptized or christened <laughs> whatever, or some kind of religious expression of intentionality for them as parents mm-hmm. and others who have said, no, I'm really staying away. <laughs> Yeah. On on account of it as well. Um, But I think there is something so transcendent about about children and about Mm -hmm. particularly newborns that I think it does open up our hearts in spite of ourselves. I think so, too. And especially, you know, for for a lot of women, you are so vulnerable during Mm. pregnancy, labor and specifically at birth. Yes. But it's for many of us, one of these moments where maybe you didn't believe a minute ago. Yes. But you sure as heck do now. Yeah. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of praying that people do at those points. Really never prayed and said that, and they'll say, "I've not prayed before or since, but I did yep. then." Yeah, kind of thing. I spent about twenty years as a labor and delivery nurse in um, you know pretty busy, pretty busy urban hospitals. Yeah, where we had you know, all kinds of people coming in from all different cultures and all different mm. walks of life. And everybody is coming to this universal experience yeah. of vulnerability. And it was common. It was common that people would ask me, a relative stranger in their life, yeah. um, do you know how to pray? Like, wow. <laughs> like, do you know how to start an IV? Oh like, um, do you know how to raise a kid? You know, I mean, like, can yeah. you make can you make an apple pie? Like, it, it wasn't oh. uncommon that oh my word. somebody amazing. around here needs to know something. Yeah, and <laughs> someone's got to have a bit of prayer on them. Come on now, share your prayers. Get it you done. got something. Come on, no, no prayers. Why are you in the room if you don't know how to pray? Why? What are good for you? Are, are you for me now? Oh my I know. goodness. And well, uh, some of that, you know, was that it was a Catholic hospital. Most mm. of the ones that I worked in, not all of them. I worked at some county hospitals too, but they were Catholic hospitals with a crucifix mm. on the wall. Oh. And, and There's so, expectations then. There were expectations of a little spiritual <laughs> job, resonance. Yeah. Yeah. In the job description. Mm. Must know at least a basic prayer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a vulnerable time. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that. You know, even in families that are atheist or agnostic or just really, really staunchly strident against religion, yeah. it feels like there's some level of responsibility that we need to teach our kids something about the basic tenets of history, if only for cultural and historical context, you know, because yeah. like you're at a dinner party and somebody says something like, it was loaves and fishes all over again. Your yeah. kid has <laughs> never heard that parable. Yeah. They're totally left out of the conversation. Yeah. And we we do it all the time. And yet, I didn't want my kids to go to Sunday school because to me, it felt like um, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at the way you paused then. Well, it, it was I was just trying more to find pause. The, yeah. I something, you know? I mean, that was the word that I, that I pulled out. I, I would be in that position of, I don't really like what these guys are talking about. Yeah, I think I should stop talking, Joe. You're the the pastor now. You get on in there. Well, good pastors learn how to listen. Uh, So, um, you know, I, I guess I, I think I would just say I'm not surprised. I think it is important, but but I've often found in my, I talk to a lot of people on planes um, because I travel a lot for work and. And I, th- I don't know what it is about the pain or the turbulence or whatever, or the fact that they don't think they're ever going to see you again, that people, mm-hmm. when they know that, uh, be, that I'm a Christian or they know that I, I pastored and all that kind of stuff, that they want to share stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, suddenly I, there must be something about my face which makes people confess things. Uh, <laughs> Me too. And, Me too. Is the airplane dump and go? I know. It's like, did I need to? I didn't need to know that. You, you could have kept that to yourself. Actually, you could go find a like proper priest or something. Um, but I think in the in those moments, I found that many people, when they say they have a dislike of religion, it's often been organised religion. It's often been the yeah. structures and the institutions. You know, the church has, has done some horrendous things, horrendous yeah. in its negligence, in its bigotry, in its 
um, playing with privilege and power. It's done horrendous things in history. It's done some amazing things in history as well, but yeah. it's done some horrendous things. And I think we've got to be honest about both. Um, we've got to be honest about both. But I think, but I'm intrigued by what you say in terms of actually, we also have to acknowledge the the role that the major religions have had on culture, yeah, um, literature, yeah. and um, continue law, to, and continue yeah. to. I think I don't think you equip anybody well with not being aware of what's going on in the world and why, right. even if you don't like it, right. even if you don't agree with it. Um, but but I've always felt it's been important to help your help anybody find their way and work their way and not assume that we're all um, that we don't have any discernment to filter out the things that aren't helpful. But I think we've got to, we've got to give people a picture of things and and why certain things have been done a certain way. I think think that's helpful. And, and I think, um, I think as people grow and, and as we mature, we, there are intersections in our life where, where, where we seem to want a spiritual journey. And I think it would be tragic if that wasn't available to somebody. I yeah. think it would be sad. Um, it, in the same way, it'd be terrible for me as a Christian to say, well, you've all got to think like this because that's the way it is. It would be equally sad for somebody to say, well, you can't think spirituality at all because that's the way it is. Um, yeah. And so I think it's important to have those opportunities because there are moments, there are, there are moments beyond Sunday school where we long for something more. And that, yeah. and, and I think at some point we have to reflect on why that longing never seems to go away. So, you know, or, or at least why it pops up from time to time. You know, one of the things that I, I really um, was always a little bit jealous of, maybe, maybe not jealous, but I really admired not jealous. That's the word. The families that I knew that had some sort of religion in their homes, they had easier answers to hard questions. They had go-to answers. And, you know, they they had scriptures and readings and texts that they could revert back to and traditions that really helped during yeah. times in life like birth and death. Yes. You know, sickness and loss. Um, celebrations, all of those structures. And, you know, yet a lot of us just don't find that. Yeah. And I I think there is something in the rituals and the practices, the habits, the ways of celebrating, the ways of letting go, the ways of um, of reflection and self-awareness and the the way of thinking beyond ourselves Mm. (laughs) beyond our wants and our our perceived needs that's really important and I I mean I think sometimes and again in every journey we can when it becomes a platitude and often that depends on someone else's individual faith journey do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but um Mm -hmm. when it becomes a platitude then that that platitude that sounded really wise five years ago comes and slaps you across the face five years later um but if it's a reflection of a deeper journey then it Mm -hmm. will be sustaining you know that there are things that people find particularly meaningful in times of crisis or frankly in times of celebration that keep them anchored um there are practices of prayer and reflection and silence or study and uh, um that have that have somehow given people a a framework to to keep their life according to the values they feel they should be living by and i right. think that's i do think that's a good thing i i really do i i think that i found throughout my life there have been certain particular prayers that have been helpful particular psalms in the bible that have helped me that have come that or that have helped me navigate the world in which i'm in yeah 
And, I agree. Um, yeah, I, think, I, I just think that's a really, really valuable thing for us yeah. um, as human beings. You know, for all of the uh, darn good reasons I had for rejecting the church as a teenager, mm-hmm. I had a, a pretty darn good Catholic education all the mm-hmm. way through grade school and high school. And I was really fortunate to be educated in a Franciscan community, which is, um, they, and they worked with Jesuits. So it was there was a really strong um, social justice and service component that uh, was sort of my rudder for finding my way forward Mm. you know that was my natural that was my true north was that which you know now to this day i'm working in the humanitarian sector and you know that was really a really valuable anchor for me and i remember having these arguments with um one of my sisters who is still a practicing catholic about you know i can't be catholic because of the way they treat women and this and that, and arguments about contraception, la la la. And she said, yeah. "Well, uh, that's just the hierarchy. That's just the administration. That's not the church. Yeah, the church is the people, and the people make up their own mind about how they're going to be in yeah. that spiritual tradition. And that ha- that has helped a yeah. lot. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think because otherwise your faith becomes always brokered by the behavior of somebody else. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure we'd want that for ourselves either. But I, but again, faith is in essence about you connecting with God. Right. Um, and and so I, I think when when people will always let us down, um, yeah. <laughs> sadly, and I don't yeah. say that to, to make light of of the, you know, clearly the church um big c across every denomination has done that quite devastatingly right. at various right. times in in our history so i I'm, I'm not saying i'm kind of shrug my shoulders oh they're only human kind of a way but i would say that it's an imp- i think an important faith journey is to learn that your faith while shaped and inevitably influenced by the people and the structures around you still comes down to you and god yeah absolutely and i i had this experience um i've had this a couple of times actually where um I can say that, you know, I, I don't practice Catholic faith anymore. And yet I follow my own traditions where anytime I travel, I try to find a Catholic church and light a candle for my mother because oh, wow. she didn't get to travel quite as much as I do. And, you know, it's just a way. My mom's yeah. been gone a long time. And, you know, a few other traditions that I follow. And I shared that with um, somebody when I was in Peru. And the guy said, oh. You're Catholic enough. <laughs> you didn't get away that easily, honey. You're Catholic enough. <laughs> you're still okay. one of us. Yeah, you may so say you're nice not. Try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unlucky sister, you're still in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so what's your advice for finding a spiritual home or a religious structure if you don't have one already? Um. I would. I think it is good doing some personal reflection of what brought you to this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is good to um, ask yourself what are your de- what are your non negotiables in terms of um, asking yourself questions like, you know, the place. If you if you had a spiritual home before, what was it about it that made you leave? Because going back to a similar place isn't going to help you. <laughs> isn't necessarily right. going to help you. Right. Are there things that? And and I think you should give yourself some time 
You know, I don't think it's like, oh, I went to that church one day and I didn't like it, so I'm never going again. That's like, mm-hmm. that, that's not trying. That's like trying on one shoe in a shoe shop and never going back. You've got, <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you've got to give yourself some time. I think, um, uh, you know, I've often found people have, um, have loved to go into cathedrals or places where they've wanted to sit and be quiet. Or mm-hmm. I, would, I would say try things. And, and if you're in an environment, and maybe for some people you want to sit at the back. You don't want to go to the front or that. That's fine. Don't even worry about the orts and shoulds of it right now. Just try mm-hmm. something. But I would say when you begin to go beyond be visiting a place, if you want to get more involved, I would find groups or if there's if there's an event or something, do something where you get to discuss things, where you get to ask questions, where you get to hear answers, um, because I think um, any faith worth its salt really has wrestled certain things. And I think if you are beginning to discover a spiritual journey, you're not wanting someone to give you platitudes. You're wanting to to work out what it means to grow in the in the warp and weft of life. So I I guess for me as a Christian, I would always say, look, if you're going to go to a church, find out if there's something they do, which doesn't doesn't tell you who they are, but you get to talk to some people. I want to I want to hear what they say about Jesus, not just about whether I agree with it, just whether I want to I want to hear it. I want to hear if this is meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear, I want to be, if there's a group they invite me to, I want to know it's not one I don't sit in silence to and just absorb without even thinking. I'm not checking my mind at the door um, or checking the reality of my life at the door. Um, I often look at things like, again, for me as a, as a Christian, I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak of other faiths just because I don't know them well enough to speak respectfully, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, but as a Christian, I'd often ask questions like, okay, what do they do amongst the poor? Oh, that's that's an important one to me. Mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. what am I observing in that community? Um, because that's something which I care about. And I, as far in my understanding of, of the Bible and Jesus, is something he cares about. Does it look like they do what he cares about um, right. in practice? I don't want to know what they talk about what he cares about. I want to know that they do what he cares about. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> that sort of thing. Those sort of things I, I would say are really important. And um, see who's friendly. And if they're too friendly, then maybe they're... <laughs> maybe they're maybe, creepy maybe they, I mean yeah creep just, have they got social skills is, is a valid question to ask <laughs> I just think yeah. it is yeah with anything new so those would be the things that I would I would be, I bear in mind uh, but I would say give yourself time and I would I would say you know make there are certain times which may be easier than others so for for example Christmas um yeah. that those may be particular times or Easter would be a particular time to engage and explore and look and see and think okay how does this feel and again yeah. you may get in there and feel angry mm-hmm. because you remember that person who judged you or whatever and that but again it's not about them this don't let the, these things rob you of a journey that you're beginning to work towards mm-hmm. but if if it does trigger things then you need to work out whether that's something you need to go deeper on as well yeah. So yeah. Th- those would be my initial thoughts on that one. I, I yeah. do, but I think if it's something you're seeking and wondering, like with anything in our lives, if something is important to us, we actually have to get intentional about it at some point. So I would say, what what's your practical thing that you'll do about exploring and ser- uh, and um, activating your spiritual search in some way? Do you think that people really should be doing this in community or? Can they have enough of a, can they have enough of a spiritual life, you know, in solitude? Is meditation and prayer by yourself enough or do you have to go to church? I think there's a rhythm to it. Honestly, I think there's a rhythm to it. And I, and some people start with the community and some people start with the solitude, but I do think you need both. Um, I think human beings are wired for both. And, um, 
and I think we are often afraid of both as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think we're afraid of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know for some people, I remember one person when I was when I was pastoring in England who had been really burned by the church, and so she used to send me emails. It took her six months to get into the building. Six months. Wow. And she said, you know, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm like, power to you, because it, she she just couldn't go there. And then when she when she came, she didn't introduce herself for another few months. And I thought, I hope you're not a crazy lady who's about to kill me, <laughs> because you know who I am and I, I, you're out there and I don't know who you are. And, yeah. and maybe about nine months in, she introduced herself. But that was what she needed. She needed to take that time. Um, to explore, to think things through, to pull back when it was appropriate, to just get comfortable with her and God and her and Jesus and, and, and to process that together. And then she needed some time to be part of a community, but be anonymous in that community. She, that was a genuine, legit need for her. Mm-hmm. And then when she was good and ready, then she said <clears> hi. And um, I, I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot from that journey, just respecting that actually that was what she needed. You learned and, um, a lot about us shy, skittish types. <laughs> yeah, and, and what, you know, what trauma can do and what yeah. cynicism can do and, um, and, and that we, we who call ourselves Christians are being watched <laughs> at yeah, all times. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually that's not a bad thing because we've got to, are we the real deal or are we, do we just talk a good game? Okay, so, now um, really, she'd been sending you emails, so you had her name. Tell yeah. me, you did go on Facebook and look at it, right? No, this was before Facebook. This is oh. back in the day. I know, right? If it was, oh. I would have totally, I would have totally Google scoped her out. Google images? Nothing? Nothing. Oh, and it, my God. 90s. These were the early 90s. Slim pickings. <laughs> Slim pickings. So, <laughs> Strangers among us. <laughs> I know. I know, right? <laughs> and she didn't even tell me what her hair color was. I thought, that's unfair. That's really unfair. That, it's a little unfair, yeah. <laughs> That's so uh, funny. That's so funny. I can kind of relate to her though, because you know there have been. We we tried out this Episcopalian church mm-hmm. when we moved to um, Portland from Los Angeles, and recommended by a friend, and it seemed good enough. But I would always try to find a side door to go out so that I didn't have to shake the pastor's hand because I didn't <laughs> want to do a meet and greet yet. And then when I did a meet and greet, the guy said. Um, Oh, great. Well, you know, we really would love to have you in our Sunday school room. And I'm thinking, oh, my oh, God. No, 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 son. no, no, son. Let no. it go. Yeah, yeah. I'm not it. That's not me. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've got the wrong person here. Oh, so wrong. Yeah. But you know what? We actually stuck it out there for about a year. And oh, wow. um, I made it pretty clear that, no, I was not hanging out in the Sunday school room at all. I could do other things and not very many of them. But what they did do was um, they we had two little girls at the time, just two out of our many kids. We got four. Oh, wow. um, and the girls were in their Christmas pageant. And so they have this one little moment in their mind, this one memory of actually having had that experience. They thought it was pretty cool. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So <clears throat> I want to go back to your bio just a little bit. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things there that I want to uh, drill down into a little bit more. I want to talk about your podcast, Lead Stories, yeah. and what that's about. And then you use a phrase called passionate about the church. Yeah. I'm curious about that because I think you're talking about, you know, the church as the people. Yes. 
Yeah, I think, um, which one should I do? Well, what should I do first? Oh, let's you do the church as the people went first. I, I can tell you exactly when that began. I was in England. I was 17 years old. And I was in my in um, England, you know, that you kind of make you narrow your subjects earlier on. So I was in a history class of doing studying my history A level. Mm-hmm. And um, and I actually went to a Catholic six. It, um, it was called a sixth form college. You're 16 to 18 plus kind of era. And mm-hmm. I was um, they, they were learning. They were talking about history and different things. And they mentioned the Methodists and they mentioned the impact of the Methodist community um, on, on the England's ills at the time, um, whether they were their social ills or social, um, the broken things, the unjust things, but also the role of certain leaders like John Wesley in, um, working towards the abolition of the slave trade and his last letter being to a politician, um, uh, telling him to get, you know, basically saying, make sure you get rid of this thing. If it takes you your whole life, this is the most evil thing that's ever come across the face of the earth. And, um, and, and I was struck by, um, one that it was in a history book, the history, history's reflections on what some of these believers did on account of their faith and that it was their faith that fueled it. And Mm. that they dealt with all kinds of opposition, including from within their own ranks, um, but that they did it and kept on pursuing things like the abolition of the slave trade, children working in mines, being banned, things like that. <laughs> things yeah. that were like, oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. Um, because of their faith. And I think for me, I, it was like a glimpse of what the, God's people could be. It, mm-hmm. For me, it was like if Jesus was walking on earth today, what would he do? He'd abolish slavery. He'd, mm-hmm. he'd deal with injustice. He would elevate those who needed elevating, all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it was just so inspiring to see um, people give their life in that way. And for that to be, that it wasn't just locked in on a mass or a Sunday morning service. And it wasn't like, okay, done my hour, we're good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or this has been my social, this has been a thing for my social climbing. But to say, okay, this so motivates me, this is what I'm going to do about it. And and I think it was, again, one of those moments where, again, you, you're aware, or at least for me, I was aware the church has done some terrible things. But when it gets it right like that, yeah. it's mind-blowing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so that's the sort, I think that's the thing. And I see it in people today as well in different ways, expressed in different ways around the world. Um, and, it, and it's incredibly inspiring. It really is. And, you know, circling back to the, you know, pregnancy and parenting slant, I think that um, for many, many, many people, these are also points of entry into leadership and service and influence Mm -hmm. and really some of the most fundamental ways. And for some parents, it just, you know, shows up as, you know, plain old parenting. They, they decide that I really want to do this the right way. And so they, you know, that's how their leadership and service shows up is they're going to be the best own parents that they can be. Yes. For others, it's a point of trigger where they realize that there is an injustice there is a an imbalance or, a, or an inequity, or they're worried about the world that they're going to be raising their children in. And there's this call to action. It's really visceral, you know, yeah. and, and for a lot of women, I know, they didn't consider themselves feminists until, yeah. until... they realized they weren't going to get paid for maternity leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, you know? That'll bring, that'll do it to you. <laughs> every time. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about the podcast. 
Okay, so Steph and I are friends, um, and we've been friends for a little while, and um, we always rant about things. You know when you've got friends in your life where you rant about putting the world straight? Oh, yeah. And um, Steph and I um, always rant about something that's wrong with the world. And, you know, if we just had a chance... <laughs> yeah, we could <can laughs> fix it. Hand it over. We'll sort it out. Don't be weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember a friend <laughs> of ours saying to us, you should just start a podcast. And we're like, yeah, I guess we should one day. And then maybe six to eight months later, we thought, maybe we should do a podcast. And I think some of it was... The, I mean, and, I, and I'm sure you feel the same, that it gives, there's a freedom to say what you want to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, there is a, it's, it's really empowering to be able to think, okay, what are the, what's, what's one of the things I care about in the world? How can I get that out there? How can I communicate that to people? And I think for both of us, we were both really passionate about leadership, both mm -hmm. about equipping the people who are under-resourced in leadership, which are often women and often people of colour, and who don't have access to things. In the, I mean, again, ours doesn't exclusively speak to people in the church, but often are people who are who would consider themselves Christians or on a faith journey, wondering what their faith journey means for them as they lead, whether it's in church or in the workplace or in the community. And, um, you know, not everybody's got the money to go to a conference and all these other sorts of things all the time, frankly. And we, we were thinking, what are the what are the issues that we'd love to talk about? And what are the things that... Um, everyday leaders need to know and how do we help people think of their influence and be intentional about it and recognize that they can have an impact and right. make a contribution in some way and that's how it began and um in some ways at the beginning it was like we could be talking to three people here <laughs> yeah yeah um but then you realize there's this resonance amongst people who are for whom it was really impacting again largely probably 80 percent women listen to the podcast uh -huh. and and women who hadn't been told they could lead or that or who had been told they were too much or not enough or women who were mothers and who were encouraged to dial down their dreams as though that was going to work for them or um in a in a helpful in a healthy way and and stuff and and people who were just like how do we wrestle out these thoughts and ideas together and so it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun um just chatting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> just talking and talking and talking yeah. and then interacting with people on the things that we're talking about and and it's been great to interview you know we've interviewed people who have stories to share um our podcast is called lead stories and um people who've got stories to share about leadership or their lives and wanting to elevate their contribution so this friend of ours who's a grandmother who's works um with aged out um, kids who've aged out of foster care and people who've been trafficked and the things that she learned along the way and um, clinical counselor who talked about mental illness, which for reasons that still defy logic can still be seen as taboo in parts of the church right. around everywhere. And I'm like, really, yeah. really though? So yeah. So, really? Yeah. And, and so we, we, it, we did a whole series on mental illness and a, a woman with OCD and who just shared her story and what it meant for her as a person of faith to be living with this reality. Um, and uh, we did we did a series on the stigma of being a strong woman. That was popular. <laughs> yeah, funny. there is stigma to that. Yeah, there is stigma to that. I wonder if the parents that are having daughters right now, if you know, there's still going to be stigma when their daughters are, you know, 25 and want to take on the world. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I yeah. I wonder what I think we have to become really aware of the things, the messages we give to our kids. And um, what we encourage and what we hyper protect and what we under prepare. And I mean, you know, we're only human. We're not going to do right. anything perfectly. But um, I sometimes wonder that as well, because I sometimes assume, you know what, it'll be better um, and it'll be easier. But I still sometimes see myself 
wanting to keep my kids safer than they than they actually need to be. I'm, I still have certain tendencies, which are like, yeah. would I say that if my child, if my kids were boys about them climbing up that tree? Would I? Yeah. yeah. Possibly, but I just wonder yeah. sometimes that there are things which I, that even though I lead and I'm happy to lead and um, sometimes I've wanted them to be so protected from what I do, it actually doesn't give them a lens to see what I do because I, I, I've wanted to be like, yeah, I'm leading and I'm getting on and doing things and traveling and they're fine and it's not impacting their life. Well, it, of course it impacts their life, but it could impact their life for good as well as bad if I, if I wasn't trying to keep it too separate. So I, I, I watch different generations come through and I watch the journey go back and forth. You know, um, yeah, between uh, so, overprotection and underprotection, yeah, overinvolvement and, and underinvolvement. Totally, fear yeah. and more fear. <laughs> and you know, we're always being told that the way that we're doing it now is wrong. Yeah, and I actually think that we're actually all of us we're parenting to the times. We're raising the children in front yeah. of us during the times that we live in. So and good. all of us, most of us, are doing the best we can. Yeah, I'd say most of us. Yeah. Some some parents, you clearly look at them and you go, <laughs> are you even honey. trying? Yeah. yeah. Like, are you honey, even trying? Time. Yeah. Time to step up. Yeah. Yeah. But almost all parents are doing the best they can. And then, you know, we read the newspaper and we hear, oh, well, you screwed that up. You weren't supposed to do it that way. You know. Ugh. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Some, somebody tells you how, how to have a perfect first year with your child and what to, what to give them to eat and what not to. And I'm like, really? Yeah. The perfect first year with your child. Yeah. Oh, let's have a giggle. Yeah, and then they don't write the book with the sequel about when you have the other child. That's yeah. what always got me about those books, that they didn't tell me one that my feet might grow when right. I had kids. Right. They did not tell me that because I would have been prepared to have a size 12 foot yeah. or something. And they did not tell me. They kind of, the routines went strangely quiet when child number two was on the way. Yeah, I did. Just, I did um, dig up the book, and it, uh, when I had my second child, and she's you know twenty eight now, so it's an old book called Your yeah. Second Child, and oh. yeah, and it it had logistics like how do you bathe two children at once? How do you nurse your second baby when your first baby is yeah, still a one year old? Yeah, logistics. Yeah. logistics. It is pretty good survival. Yeah. What yeah. do you do about the yeah. exponential thing that happens to your laundry? Not the addition right. of one, but the, the way it mutates <laughs> yeah. and then goes crazy over everything. Yeah. No one warns you about that. I don't remember like it this. handling issues. I mean, maybe it did and I just didn't, it didn't resonate, but I don't remember it handling issues like how do you handle discipline when you have two, three or four kids? Mm. How do you, do you remember that feeling? when you were pregnant with number two of yes. feeling like you were doing something bad to number one, like you were, yes. you know? Yeah, I did. I did. I remember feeling bad. I remember my girls are quite close together. They're 17 months apart, which was the plan. We just had no idea what we were planning really. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I have and some I remember that are feeling having this day thinking, Oh, what have I done to them? And <clears throat> what, what will they lose now? And you know, Turns I, out I, nothing. No, Turns out I, they do great. They did absolutely fine. I think I remember, and maybe six. Well, my youngest was my, may have been about three or four months old, and they were both in the same room for a nap. Then I heard giggling, mm -hmm. and and actually she must have been about six, seven months old. And I saw somehow um, they'd got into the same crib, and I hadn't quite worked out how they got into the same crib, and they were just <laughs> sitting there laughing. 
And then they looked at me and just carried on laughing. And I thought, it's over. Yeah. My life is over. They, they, they now own us. Because Sisters. they do these defying things without us even working out how they're able to physically do them. They'll just rule us forever. They, 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 they become a team against yep. us. <laughs> yep. And they're yep. winning, still winning. Yeah. I have um, three daughters, a son and a niece that are my five. And they, the four girls are tight as can be. And my two that are just 18 months apart, they used to call them the Velcro girls. And they still do because they were just so tightly bonded. <sighs> wow. The Velcro yeah. girls. The yep. Velcro girls. Yeah. Yeah. And my son, you know, the one boy. Poor guy. They <laughs> civilized him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe, we are, we've been talking for a long time and I think we could talk all day. But yeah. maybe we better start thinking about wrapping it up. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you a couple more questions. Okay. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Mm. Nobody ever told me. Oh, I've got about three of them and I've got, I'm just going to pick one. Just gonna pick you can one. do all three. Go three. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah no one ever told me the extent to which my metabolism would slow down nobody <laughs> no one no one told me how far south everything would go on that one uh, um, um nobody told me how long grief can last oh. that that was one that is one where it's just like a continual revelation yeah and um i think my last of the three would of my three thoughts that all came at once would be no one would told me how much fun i could have either Ah. Yeah. Huh. And then tell me how much fun I could have. So I like so that. So yeah, those would be mine. Those Sorry, I answered three questions in That's one. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty hanged back here. You can do what you want. So my last question for you then is where are you in your life as a mom? Um, I am I, you know, I was thinking about this just today. I was on my run. I'm I am enjoying my my girls are tweens. And I really love watching them become. Mm. I'm really enjoying watching them become like their interests, their personalities, their quirks, their their distinctiveness um, is really exciting to watch. And I think um, feels it feels just out of my reach, which is good for me. And I like um, I like that kind of I don't know quite what we're going to do. Do you know what I mean? In a, in a good way, because I can't predict everything. But I, I love seeing these ideas that they have. And I feel like I'm just learning and learning so much about them, um, which is a real gift. Um, and, I've, and uh, you know, you caught this question caught me at a very good time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just caught me at a very good time um, when it feels really rich. And I think I've realized and it and I think it's taken me this long, actually, to realize that with my career, which involves a lot of speaking and coaching and going around the, around the country and sometimes beyond speaking and stuff at this stage of my life and me writing and things like that, that I've, I think I've discovered ways in which I can invite and include them in it. And, and, and I've, I've stopped thinking, what, what does this cost my kids? I think more of what do they get to do distinctly because I have this life? 
Yeah. And um, yeah. and that's been fun as well, because and, and before it was just, oh, we get to do these fun trips and they get to do these fun things. And I thought, actually, it's also watching them realize they get to meet these fun people. They get exposed to parts of the world. They get to have a global lens. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to hear other people's stories. They get to see lots of amazing women doing amazing things of every background and, and of every ethnicity. And I thought that's a real privilege, actually, that they get to see that. So, yeah. And, I, and, and so I'm excited about that as well. And they're going to be women in just no time at all. I know. Blink, yeah. blink, yeah. And blink. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of blinking, though, during those teenage years. You'll blink a lot. So much blinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much blinking. <laughs> so much blinking. Yeah. Well, oh, Joe, this has been so much fun. And again, you know what? We're at the end of this conversation, and there's just so much more that we could talk about. I'd, I'd love to talk about things like, you know, I think, did you have your kids in London or the U.S.? What's different about healthcare there and here? What about Nigeria? What about leadership? There's so much more to talk about, Joe. We might have to do a part two down the road. Yeah. Oh, I lost you again. I oh, might, no, I heard you. I'm here. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. That was very well, strange. I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just had a little internet warble, I think. Ah. Uh those internets yeah well joe this has been a real pleasure and i have a feeling we're going to talk thank again you. down the road yes thank you so much i love it so much fun me too we'll talk again bye-bye bye. take care bye mama said there'll be days like this there'll be days like this mama said, mama said, our guest today was joe saxton you can learn more about joe at joesaxton.com And you can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Email me, jean at jeanfaulkner. Tweet me, at jeanfaulkner. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get all upcoming episodes. And if you will, give us a nice rating, will you? It helps us jump up a little higher um, when people are looking for us. And pick up my books over on my website or anywhere books are sold. Common Sense Pregnancy, the book is on Amazon, it's at Target, it's everywhere. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.